0: Push, push lies Killers and water, lies We
1: Welcome to the Loose Filter Project. This is Stuart Sims bringing you our latest podcast, Charles Ives and a New American Music. Before we get to the podcast, I should tell you that if you have been a subscriber to this podcast feed, you will need to go to the website and subscribe to our new feed. This podcast will be the last one posted on our old feed, uh, we're converting everything over to Feed Burner. So if you go to the website, you will see a link to click subscribe to this podcast and it will take you there. If you uh, go to loosefilter.com and see a link that says new site, please click that and it'll take you through. We're in the process of pointing the domain to the new page. This podcast is the first of several that will address a broad theme of recontextualizing concert music in the United States. This is a theme that incorporates much of what the Loose Filter Project is all about. It's my perception that concert music in the United States, what has uh, often also been called art music or classical music, has never had a g- truly native place in the culture. It has ne- never truly been of American culture. For the last century and a half or so, as American musical culture has grown and flourished in in many wonderful ways, uh, there has persisted a divide between the worlds of concert music and, and popular music. Uh, this comes about just as a thumbnail sketch, because in the middle of the 19th century, concert music, uh, which is to say, symphony orchestras and opera companies were established uh, in the united states as european uh, artistic traditions the mission of the people that established these uh, institutions was to bring that music here which is fine because it's a lot of fantastic music but the obverse of this pers- of this perspective necessarily, is that any American music can only be substantive and successful with regard to this European tradition. So, it sort of set a standard and a frame of reference for any American concert music to be considered successful. It had to be successful referring to another culture's traditions. This led to a curious false dilemma in American musical culture, with uh, what was regarded as proper art music, that is to say music of and developing from the European tradition, holding absolute sway in musical institutions such as orchestras, conservatories, and universities. Popular music, on the other hand, was completely disconnected from that culture, having been judged uh, as lesser or inferior. Artists, composers, performers uh, who understood and valued both sides of this imaginary divide, the concert music world and the popular music world, often found themselves in an odd sort of uh, musical twilight, even if their work was highly praised by the very same European contemporaries that the institutions of concert music were emulating. Uh, I'm thinking here of George Gershwin, whose masterpiece, Porgy and Bess, was too familiar for the opera hall and too complex for the theater or John Cage, or our minimalists. So many of these twilight American artists, ironically, have become our most important and our most influential. It is in this space, the imaginary divide between the popular and concert music worlds, that i think a new genuinely american context for our music making can be found chief among the iconoclasts who have long worked in the in-between spaces and perhaps grandfather to them all is charles edward ives born in new england to an unconventional band leader father musical experimentation was a part of charles ives life from childhood in this podcast, I'll begin a closer look at the remarkable music of this quintessential American artist and begin the argument for a rejection of the false dilemma I spoke of and the adoption of a new framing for American music, one that is not predicated upon the history and tradition of apparent culture, rather a framing that acknowledges and embraces the reality of American culture as it is, not how we think it ought to be. As a primary observation, I think it important to acknowledge the centrality of popular music in American culture. And by popular music, I refer historically to the music people made for themselves and their daily lives, songs, dances, hymns, marches, and the like remarkably and unusually popular music grew and thrived in the united states well before there was any widespread established concert music practice or tradition Uh, for instance the new york philharmonic was established in 1842 the boston symphony not until 1881 yet we have popular music that we still uh, sing today from before the revolutionary war and of course these symphony orchestras were founded To perpetuate the European concert music tradition. The ubiquity and significance of popular music in American life was not lost on young Charles Ives, and understanding his music is best begun by hearing it as a free reconciliation of these seemingly disparate worlds of American vernacular and European art musics.
0: There's a time in many a life when it's due to face it, as but our soldier boy will do their part, that people can live in a world where all will have the same, their conscience always of their country's aim, which is liberty for all. Hip, hip, hooray, you'll hear them say as they go to the fight.
1: March number six with Here's to Good Old Yale, written in the mid 1890s during Ives' days as a student at Yale, is an early composition that shows uh, several of what are to become hallmarks of Ives' compositional voice. First of all, it's a subversive approach to a very traditional form. Uh, While it's very definitely a march and the piece is in march form, after uh, a brief introduction, the first strain is scored uh, very jauntily and lightly, almost a cheeky sort of uh, a razzing of the very pompous attitude of most marches. Uh, in the second strain, the march sort of continues as normal, but it's just steamrolled by a more familiar popular tune, the drinking song "Here's to Good Old Yale," which, of course, all of Ives' uh, classmates would have known. And so, this sort of juxtaposition of 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 music from taken from the culture. Over his own music is uh, a real hallmark of his writing, as well as this sort of subversive, playful attitude. Here's a little bit of this March number six. By 1903, these aspects of his music had gained considerable sophistication in his country band march. The Ives scholar James Sinclair has written of the Country Band March. Country Band March was composed around 1903, four years after Ives' graduation from Yale and five years prior to his lucrative insurance partnership with Julian Myrick. Ives had just resigned as organist at Central Presbyterian Church, New York, thus ending 13 and one-half years as organist of various churches. He was, according to Henry Cowell, "...exasperated by the routine harmony for hymns." During this period, Ives finished his second symphony in 1902, composed three organ pieces that were later incorporated into his third symphony in 1904, composed the overture in March 1776, and various songs and chamber pieces. Apparently, the country band march received no performances, and only a pencil score sketch is in evidence today. Later, Ives seemed very interested in this music, since he incorporated nearly all of it in one form or another into the Hawthorne movement of Sonata Number no. 2, Concord, the Celestial Railroad, and the 4th Symphony 2nd movement, and especially Putnam's camp from three places in New England. From the out-of-tune introduction to the pandemonium which reigns at the close... The Country Band March is a marvelous parody of the realities of performance by a country band. While the main march theme is probably Ive's own, the march features an impressive list of quotations that includes Arkansas Traveler, Battle Cry of Freedom, British Grenadiers, The Girl I Left Behind Me, London Bridge, Marching Through Georgia, Masses in the Cold, Cold Ground, My Old Kentucky Home, Violets, Yankee Doodle, May Day Waltz, and Semper Fidelis. There is rarely anything straightforward about the use of this material. The tunes are subjected to Ives' famous techniques of poly-everything, and of particular interest is Ives' use of ragtime elements to enliven this, this already-spirited march. And that program note is from Sinclair's Concert Band Arrangement of the Country Band March. So let's dissect this piece a little bit and listen to the sources. First is the country band March theme, likely an original. In the presentation of this main theme, the elements of Ives' delightful parody of amateur music making is apparent. Listen for the tubas to lose the downbeat, along with the percussion, and the horns to begin riffing on offbeats. you probably noticed fragments of other tunes drifting in, specifically, London Bridge. As well as The Girl I Left Behind Me. Oh, that girl, that pretty little girl, that girl I left behind me. While I weeped and I cried till the day I died for the girl I left behind me. Let's listen to that excerpt from Countryman March again, and in addition to the parody, listen for the pop tunes to drift in at the end. London Bridge for two bars in the oboe and trumpet, the girl I left behind me for a bar and a half following that in the flute and the piccolo. It's always amazing to me how rich the tapestry of Ives' music is once your ears can make sense of all that sound. With that in mind, let's listen to a passage a little further along. That excerpt becomes quite dense with material. So let's take it into two chunks. The first chunk includes three popular tunes Arkansas Traveler, a popular fiddle tune. The Stephen Foster song, Masses in the Cold, Cold Ground.
0: and happy as And
1: finally, the Civil War song Marching Through Georgia. Bring
0: the good old bugle, boys. We'll sing another song. Sing it with a spirit that will start the world along.
1: You'll hear Arkansas Traveler and Stephen Foster's song in counterpoint along with Ive's Country Band March theme. So that's sort of three malaic ideas occurring simultaneously. You'll also hear a roll off in the percussion. What's notable, notable about that roll off is that it occurs in the time signature of 6 8 while all the rest of the music is happening in 2 4. Additionally, right at the end of this bit, the piccolo and flute play two bars of Marching Through Georgia. In the second half of this same excerpt, you'll hear the first cornet play a theme from John Philip Seuss's Semper Fidelis. You'll also hear the Horns and Saxes belt out the battle cry of freedom, along with a tag of Yankee Doodle in the piccolo.
0: Forever, boys, hurrah, Down with the and up with the star. We...
1: Here it all is in context in this second chunk of our second excerpt. <laughs> So, just this excerpt includes Arkansas Traveler, Masses in the Cold Ground, Marching Through Georgia, Semper Fidelis, The Battle Cry of Freedom, and Yankee Doodle, as well as Ives' own theme. All in about 22 seconds, and all with the uh, lack of temporal consensus that Ives is famous for. Here's the whole excerpt. And so this is music that is dense with activity and complexity, but because so much of the music is drawn out of the actual, uh, musical cultural fabric, uh, Almost any American listener at the time would have been able to find something very familiar in Ives' music. And so what he was doing was pioneering this third way, uh, right in this divide, this imaginary divide I spoke about uh, at the beginning of the podcast between the concert music world and the popular music world. And he was not only a pioneer, but tremendously uh, influential in that. So without micromanaging this to death, uh, I want to play the whole country band march for you. But before uh, I do that, here is a mix of all the music Ives uses to weave this spellbinding, cacophonous delight that is wholly and uniquely American. I'll follow it with country band march itself and hope that this mix helps your ears light up with recognition.
0: the night the stars were bright above me and gently lent their silver light when first she vowed she loved me now I'm bound to brighten camp kind heaven may it find me Start the world along, sing it as we used to sing it, 50,000 strong, while we were marching through Georgia. Hurrah, hurrah, we bring the jubilee, hurrah, hurrah, the flag that makes you free, so we sang the chorus song. down with the traitor and up with the star While we rally round the flag boys We'll rally once again Counting the battle cry of freedom The good old bugle boys will sing another song. Sing it with a spirit that will start the world along. Sing it as we used to sing it, 50,000 strong, while we were marching through Georgia. Hurrah, hurrah, we'll bring the jubilee. Hurrah, hurrah, the flag that makes you free.
1: Finally, from one of our greatest musical iconoclasts and perhaps the musical grandfather of us all, brilliantly played by the United States Marine Band with Colonel Michael Colburn conducting, this is Charles Ives' Country Band March.